You're listening to Driven by Insight. Join Willie Walker, Walker and Dunlop's chairman and CEO, as we bring you fresh perspectives about leadership, business, the economy, and commercial real estate. Willie hosts a diverse network of leaders as they share wisdom that cuts across industry lines. His guests are experts in their fields, from leading economists and CEOs to Harvard and Yale professors and everything in between. Our one goal is simple, providing you with unique insights, unparalleled data, and real-time market analyses. Before we begin, uh, as I've done the past two weeks, I want to express our ongoing concern, sympathies, and support for the people of Israel as they respond to the Moss terrorist attacks. I was with a Walker Nullop client yesterday who has a nephew in the Israeli army who have just been called up as a reservist. These are scary and sad times. We also must be vigilant in pushing back on any discrimination and anti-Semitism that appears in our companies, communities, and country. There is no place for it in a free society. Uh, with that, let me go to intros of my two guests today. Uh, Jesse Itzler is an American entrepreneur, author, and rapper. He is the co-founder of Marquee Jets, one of the largest private jet companies in the world, which he sold at NetJets, and a partner in Zico Coconut Water, which he sold to Coca-Cola. Jesse is the founder of the 100 Mile Group, 29029, and one of the owners of the NBA's Atlanta Hawks. He is a graduate of American University, is married to Spanx founder, Sarah Blakely. They have four children, and Jesse takes family, friends, and fitness very seriously. Uh, Mark Hodlich has been an entrepreneur, management consultant, and endurance athlete for the last two decades. Mark began his career as a strategy consultant and has founded multiple companies spanning health, wellness, natural resources, and event production. Mark and his partners recently sold 29029 to the parent company of Nordic Track iFit, where Mark continues in the role of CEO. An active fundraiser and philanthropist, Mark raised over $5 million for Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center while creating and managing a nationwide fundraising series. Mark is an accomplished endurance athlete, having completed multiple 100-mile trail runs, ultramarathons, and Ironmans. He, like Jesse, is serious about friends, fitness, and family, spending lots of time with his wife, Stacy, and boys, Chase and Dylan. Uh, so before we dive in, Jesse and Mark, I got a lot of shout-outs. Uh, first, my great friend and one of the most kick-ass endurance athletes I know and bankers, Jeff Johnson, who works at PNC Bank, did your 29029 event last summer in Sun Valley, Idaho, called me afterwards and said, you got to meet Mark and Jesse. And so uh, to Jeff for connecting the three of us, I'm deeply thankful. Um, second, on the 29029 website, there's a picture of the two of you with mega endurance athlete Colin O'Brady, uh, who's racing Ram next summer with my great buddy and training partner, Lucas Clark. Um, Jesse, did you do Ram last summer? Uh, I rode my bike across the country with 10 friends, but we didn't do the official Ram race. Yeah. How long, how long did that take you? So we did it in 14 days. We did it kind of uh, in, a, in a cool format that allowed us to do it in 14 days. But listen, getting to see the country 15 miles per hour at, at a time is an incredible experience, man. Uh, it sounds great. Well, I want to dive into that in a minute. And then finally, uh, I need to thank Barnes & Noble uh, for your book, Jesse, Living with a Seal because as an endurance athlete and a SEAL fan like me, and also someone who tries to fit it all in, when I read your book, it I'm not sure it changed my life, but it was one of the most sort of um, connecting books, and not that I've ever done anything close to that, 
But as I read about you and having Seal live with you, it, it literally, it was one of the most amazing things I've ever read. So thank you for your book and thanks to Barnes & Noble for that. And then finally, I was in the gym in San Diego this morning and Rakesh Chuhan, who's a friend of both of yours from Atlanta, walked up to me and said, you got, you have you have Jesse and Mark on the webcast today and uh, you got to give them a shout out. So anyway, lots of connectivity and uh, it's great to have you both on. So let's start here. Um both of you, friends, family, and fitness is super important. Uh, and those three things in your bio sound pretty great, but most people have a couple other things competing for their time, work, travel, food, the NFL. Uh, Mark, you were, a, you were a runner at Auburn. How'd you create a life commitment to fitness? It was just discipline early on. I saw my dad every day after work go out and run four to five miles. And I saw him run marathons when I was young and was just part of my upbringing was working out and being outside and being active. I think as I got in my professional career, it's just one of the things that I prioritized. I, I don't think I'm right in a day unless I've worked out in some capacity. And then once I had kids, I realized I wasn't right once I got to play with them. And I think intertwining those two things together, kind of working out and doing it with family, that's how Jesse and I met. And I swore to myself I'd never have another partner. I think Jesse was on the point in his life where he said he wouldn't have another partner too. And, and, you know, he's just a great person. And I think when you're around people that live the kind of life that you're trying to aspire to, to do, and you see them finding that balance, but also having great success, both um, as a husband, as a father, as an entrepreneur, but also as an athlete, you say, hey, maybe I do want a partner and maybe we can be aligned in pursuing many things at the same time. And that's certainly what we found together, I believe. Jesse, I've heard you say, uh, Find the people you love and live life with them. Yeah, I think um, just going back, there's a lot of talk even early on in this conversation that we're throwing the word around athlete. I feel like it's making me laugh inside because I never thought of myself as an athlete. You know, Mark and I both love endurance sports and the, the common theme in endurance sports is it comes down to one thing and that's will. You don't have to be a great runner. You don't have to be super strong. I mean, every of the 500 people on this call, everyone could probably beat me in a 50-yard dash or lift more weights than me, but I'm really good at long, run, running in a, a, a really long time without stopping. And uh, and that comes down to will. And uh, so I love that you're grouping Mark and I in this category of athlete. It makes me feel at 55 years old, really good. Uh, so but, I see on that, as I, as I think about your story and as I think about Mark's story, and quite honestly, as I think about my story, I think about who said you couldn't do something. Who's that person who said, hey, Jesse, you're not good enough. You're not fast enough. You're not smart enough to get that done. Because as someone who has spent his entire life sort of trying to get that chip off my shoulder, I can sense in both you as well as Mark that there's this internal fire that is always going to say kind of, I can do it. But someone at some point said to you, you couldn't. Is there a specific person who who sort of said, Jesse, you you can't do that. And for, you know, decades, you've been proving them wrong. Well, I'm an entrepreneur by heart. And anytime you're an entrepreneur and you're introducing a new idea, you're going to get met with resistance. You're going to get met with resistance. And that's always been fuel for me. And I wouldn't say there's one specific person, but I definitely like to operate as the underdog. I remember, I look at like Rocky and Rocky one, when he's hitting the meat bags and he's coming up and and then Rocky three is getting fanned down in the gym. I never want to be Rocky three. I never want to be Rocky three. 
So I don't know if it's one person in particular or whatever, but I definitely feel like I want to stay in the Rocky One mindset for sure. But, you know, I think um, everybody pulls from Mark might feel differently, but I feel like people say like, don't hold grudges and it's not healthy to, to, to whatever you can channel to reach a big goal because you're going to hit so many obstacles. I had so many obstacles as an entrepreneur, so many obstacles when running a hundred mile race, so many obstacles in my bike ride across America. You, you know, whatever you can pull from to get through those, whether it's anger, whether it's, you know, I want to get the girl or the guy, whether it's the people that doubted you, I think it's important to have some of that in the memory bank, personally. Personally. Yeah. So, yeah. I was going to say, you know, I feel like I'm in a, a nice air-conditioned house and it's tough, so I'm going to quit. So I channel that. I need that, man. I need that in me. And um, whatever it is, I think it's important to hold on to some of that stuff and pull it out when you need it. What do you think, Mark? It, for me, it wasn't any individual. I think I grew up in such a supportive environment. My parents were so supportive. My coaches were great. I think I realized I left something on the table. Like I had more gas in the tank. I was in my 20s and I wasn't doing endurance events. I was lifting and running every day, but it was just so I could fit the same size clothes and I could get fat or I could eat what I wanted, right? And and I got in my 30s and just, I mean, I could do a lot more. And now I'm in my 40s. And, you know, when you're surrounded, I mean, Colin's one of our partners. You see what Colin's doing. Colin's going to ride his bike across the country at 22 miles an hour, right? With Lucas, like they're insane. And he has 10 world records. And you start to level up and start to think the things you've done maybe aren't that impressive. And it's not for another story to tell or to brag. It's to prove to yourself you can still do it. And I want to always know that I can rise to the occasion and do it and be in the elements and fight through it. And so I think a lot of it for me is, is proving to myself that I still have it and I'm still able to be tough even as we've achieved some success and have some comforts in life that, uh, you you know, Colin always talks about having ones and tens. And if you think about ones, your lowest moment, and tens, your best moment, you don't get to have the tens without the ones. And he says, like, he doesn't want to live his life with fives and sixes. And like, I've realized that, like, you got to put yourself in those really gritty art situations. And while Jesse had a great time riding his bike across the country, it's not easy to do for 14 days in a row to sit in a saddle for six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hours, right? It'd be uncomfortable, but just think of that Ted when you get to the beach in Florida, right? I think that's where I think a lot about is wanting to sign up for things and do things to continue to prove to myself that the past is something I can be proud of, but that's not, I'm not going to level off there, right? I can still continue to do good things. And you realize your network and mostly my kids see that I'm still doing that stuff. And that's the most important thing to me at this stage in life. My boys are 12 and 13, and I want them to see that you can continually challenge yourself and grow. Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate and advisory firms in the country. You start the communities. Our ideas and capital make them possible. And tune in to the Walker webcast hosted by CEO Willie Walker for exclusive insights on commercial real estate. Jesse, I've heard you talk about the difference between two words, can and will. Um, will you back up to the advice that Lou Katz gave you uh, when you were offered to sell a 10% interest in your... Uh, in your 10% uh, annuity in your jingle business for 10,000 bucks way back when? Well, actually it was 10% of all my future earnings. Yeah, I was sleeping on, between the ages of 19 to 23, I was flip-flopping amongst 18 different friends' couches. And when I was on couch number 17, um, someone had offered me, I was in the jingle business. My, my, my business model was 
go in a studio on on my own nickel, write a song for like the New York Yankees. I was doing it for sports teams mostly. Cold call them, try to get them on the phone to get a meeting and then convince them if I got a meeting that they needed this song that I had and try to sell it to them. I had no money to go in the studio anymore. So someone had offered me 10%, uh, $10,000 for 10% of all my future earnings for the rest of my life. And I'm like, I'll take it. So that, by the way, like just, Elon, by the way that's Elon Musk money. That would have been the worst deal ever. That would have been the best deal ever done for that guy in hindsight, ever, that's ever. It. He'd be a really rich guy today. But anyways, he was turning me into a $10,000 heir. Like I would, that was amazing for me at the time. But I was living with this girl and, and her roommate and she said, well, why don't you go talk to my father about it before you make that decision? He's an entrepreneur. And I went to see this gentleman named Lou Katz who was incredibly successful. And he just asked me a simple question. He said, you know, will you make the jingle, this company work without the, without getting the $10,000? And I said, Lou, I know I can make it work. And he erupted. He said, I didn't ask you that. He said, I, I know you can be a millionaire. I know you can run a marathon. I know you can start a podcast. I said, will you? Will you make it work? And I said, I will. And he said, well, then go ahead and do it. Don't take the money. There's a big difference between can and will. You know, everybody here can do a whole bunch of, I can ride my bike across the country. I can start a business, but you know, will you do it? And and as a 21 year old kid, hearing this guy tell, talk to me about really just the words that I say to myself and the impact that they have to me and my own self-talk had such a big impact on me. And um, even now with, with four kids, you know, the words that we speak in our house are so important. And the limitations that we put on ourselves are very often self-imposed and so important. Part of the reason why Mark and I started 29029 is to take people that had never participated in endurance sports. They were intimidated. They didn't want to, they, they didn't, they, maybe they didn't like obstacle racing or they're not great swimmers or cyclists or runners. They can't do an Ironman. We made it, we made the endurance and endurance sports available to anybody that had the will to walk and climb for X amount of hours to climb the equivalent of Mount Everest. And, and one of the reasons why, why we did it, the why behind it, is that when people leave our event, we always say, tell them, man, go home and double your business plan. Look what you just did. Think about what you came here and thought you could do. Maybe you only ran a 5K in your life, it took you 40 minutes. You just went for 28 hours and climb the equivalent amount Everest, go double your business plan. It, you know, we, we're giving people, we're showing people that the limitations that they've been putting on themselves are self-imposed. And my whole life's been like that. I go back to my first marathon, you know, running my first marathon and being like, I can't believe I just did that. And then watching people run, going and spectating a hundred mile run and expecting to see Superman at the starting line. But seeing people that look like goat herders and, you know, accountants and oh, I'm like, how are they finishing this? Oh, they're just not quitting. They're not letting the obstacles get in front of them. They are not even stronger than me. They just have incredible will, incredible self-talk. So that little will versus can dialogue had a tremendous impact on my own self-talk and what I thought my limitations were. Mark, talk about that as it relates to twenty nine oh twenty nine. There are no winners in the in in, in the twenty in the Everesting. 
Uh, there's no podium. There are no age group or gender groups. There are no race categories. You, the only goal is to ascend the mountain as many times as you think is is humanly possible. Um, as you as you think about that from an experiential standpoint, what Jesse was just talking about, it it, it feels like it's more than a race. It, it feels like it's an experience. It feels like the people who go there are looking for something more than just the endurance of it. Because if it was just the endurance, as Jesse said, they'd go to a marathon or they'd go to a triathlon. What's unique about Everesting? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a safe place to challenge yourself and be willing to, to put yourself in an environment where you don't know what the outcome's gonna be. I mean, that's entrepreneurship, right? Starting a business, you don't know how it's gonna end up. You see, you see how you want it to go, but it's never gonna be a, a linear path. With 20 out of 29, it's an audacious goal, but it gives something someone, as Jesse talks about, something to put on their calendar that they're gonna remember the year by, right? And so as we go on sale next week, people are signing up for an epic adventure for 2024. And what we really did was we gave people the opportunity to to, to do something in a supported environment where they didn't feel like they had a win, they didn't feel like they were gonna be embarrassed, they didn't feel like uh, it was a competition. Um, it was really a, a true test of you versus you it's Jesse always says it's will not skill. I mean, this last weekend in Stratton, the conditions were brutal. It rained for 34 straight hours. Yeah, it made the course a little muddier and maybe it slowed hike times by three or 5%. It just made it mentally a lot harder. You trade for this thing for eight months and suddenly you realize the whole time you were going to be wet and cold, right? And I hate that it was like that for people, but man, for everyone that was out there, they got a much better experience. They got to face quitting so many more times and overcome the desire to quit way more times than if it had been sunny at 55, right? And so that's, this has created an environment of it for people to be proud of themselves. You know, like our average age is 47. I see my kids at 12 and 13 still being proud of themselves, learning something new, right? Learning a trick on a skateboard or, or hitting uh, their first three in a game. Like they're excited about those things. We get older, we get jaded. We don't try as many new things. This is an opportunity to be like, oh wait, you know, Jesse says I'm not an athlete when he talks about that. He is, he's a damn good endurance athlete. Incredible athlete. Incredible athlete. And, and you know, what's been, what's been so humbling to me is people to say, I never felt like I fit in. I never felt like I could do a marathon because I couldn't make the finishing time. I never felt like I could do a triathlon because I can't swim, right? And yet this is the environment where they say, hey, I can challenge myself. And on the other end of the spectrum, there's people who are sub three marathoners, sub 10 hour Ironmans that come out and are like, this still took me 20 hours, right? Like there's no shortcut here. It's really hard. And I think it's inspiring for everyone to be sharing that mountain together because you're looping the same course and it just creates real community. That's what I'm most proud of what we built is a really strong community because when you're at the front of a race, you never see the back. And when you're at your back, you don't see the front. And here, you're constantly fighting those same elements together on the same track. And I think those who are slower feed off those that are fast. And those that are fast are like, I cannot believe what people are doing right now. Right? They're saying, I'm so much more physically fit than some of the people on this mountain, but yet they're finding a way to get this done. And it's, it's inspiring for all parties that are there. Jesse, I know you have gone to the Coach K basketball camp, I think it was 18 straight years. Is it still going on or has he stopped doing that? Oh yeah, no, it's still going on. Still going on. So it sounds a little bit from what Mark's talking about that you pulled a bunch out of that in the sense of setting up the Everest experience, the the community that builds. And then also to some degree, the sense that, you know, everybody who goes to the Coach K camp 
they're not there to make the starting lineup. They're there to have the experience of being there and be with a great coach and leader like Coach K. Any anything else on on, on the parallels between those two that I'm missing? No, I think that's I think that that you bring up a good point. I think that you know when you're in an environment of doers, it's so infectious, it's so contagious, it's so inspiring, and you know at twenty nine oh twenty nine, you just see people doing things that are just it just pushes you, you know, it's just, it's just, you're surrounded by positivity. Um, it also gives you both the K Academy, which is a basketball camp for guys 35 and older that coach K at Duke puts on 29029. Um, you know, we are so most of us, I don't want to talk for everybody here, but you know, as you get older, I'm 55. Um, and we live in routine. It's so hard to create newness. You know, like where does newness come from? You almost have to schedule it. And these experiences are so memorable. They're so different. They take you out of your element. There's so much learning that comes from that. Um, and I think it's really important for everybody here, regardless of your age, um, to do something one time a year that you are really proud of. You know, like that you have something to show for. I always talk about this old Japanese ritual. Maybe you've heard it, what we call the misogi where the notion is you do one big year defining thing every year. So, you know, um, I think that's really important. Like if you're working your butt off and at the end of the year, you can't say to me like in 2015, I wrote Living with the CL. 2017, Mark and I launched this company. 2023, I rode my bike across the country. Like if you don't have something to show for all that hard work, you, you know, you have to kind of look at like, where am I going? Because you don't want to get to the end of the journey. And be like you're, you know, you're 85 years old, and be like, yes, man, you know, I, I was the 80 percent, I was a B minus, I was the 80 percent version of what I could have been. And what what we're doing with this event is we're giving people an, an opportunity. You know, the one thing everybody here has in common, everybody's here for a different reason. Learn something, meet Mark, meet me. Here's, but the one thing everybody here has in common is we want to feel accomplished. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to do stuff that like we're super proud of, you know, um, not to get derailed. Jesse, take the Masoji into the cabin rule. Yeah, I'll do that in a second, but not to get derailed. You know, my wife just sold her company Spanx um, to Blackstone, the majority, and she had Spanx for 20 plus years. And the day that she sold the company, she came into and, you know, and I'm like, this is it was a huge moment for our family, huge moment for Sarah. And I said, um, you know, how do you want to celebrate? I'm thinking like, I want to treat myself to a trip. I'm gonna, I want to buy a yacht. You know, what do you want to do? And um, she said three words to me. She just looked me in the eye and she said, I did it. It had nothing to do with the money. It had nothing to do with the yacht. It had nothing to do. It was this feeling of accomplishment, you know. And whether that's the K Academy, whether that's 29 or 29, whether that's walking an old lady across the street. You know, you want to do things that make you proud of yourself and feel accomplished. Mark, as the CEO, is giving people that platform, and that's what people leave feeling. It's important, man. You show up. Let let me go back to that with Sarah because that's fascinating. So here's somebody who is one of, if not the most accomplished female entrepreneur in the United States of America and potentially the world. Her success was no surprise in the sense that she'd been on the cover of Forbes magazine, Fortune magazine, um, first female billionaire, et cetera, et cetera. So the concept 
that the day she sold the company to Blackstone, she said, I did it. I would have thought that she would have said, I did it two decades ahead. What What is that in the sense of, you know, kind of the finality of selling it to Blackstone that all of a sudden said to her, I actually did it now, whereas a decade previous when it's a multi-billion dollar company and doing whatever the personal gratification around that is, hadn't said to her, I've now done it. I think it was, I don't want to speak for her, but I think it was the closing of the chapter because throughout the journey, she didn't know what the end would look like or what the end game was look would look like. And I think that moment really put some closure on that 20 plus year journey, you know? So I think that that was a defining moment in the change of control. And she was recognizing it by saying like, when she said I did it, it wasn't even the sale. It was like, I took five grand and I had a mission driven company to, to help women. I've donated a lot of money and, you know, I've, I've done all this stuff. And she looked back on the journey and she's just like, everything I set out to do. And that, I think that's one of the reasons why she sold the majority of the company because she had checked the boxes that she wanted to achieve. She checked those boxes. So it felt like the right time to do it. And, um, and that's what I think she meant by, I did it. I got, I completed all the things that I wanted to complete in this journey with this company at this stage of my life. So now forgive me for a second. I'm going to ask Jesse when we were yeah, no. rusty here, which is this. So Jesse, well, I, I remember specifically listening to you talk about selling your jingle business to SFX and what you call getting Musk money. And it was a $4 million check, but at that time, $4 million bucks to you was Musk money. And I, and I love that. The, the question I have there is that you did feel at that point, and you were 27 years old, that you've done it. Like You're like, I got Musk money, baby. I've never seen anything like this. And I got a million and a half out of the $4 million sale, and I have got more than I've ever thought about having. What is it about you? Because you also talk about the stops and starts you had in your entrepreneurial career prior to that first success and doing all sorts of stuff, selling stuff door to door. And I've listened to you list off all the things that sort of had doors closed in your face. What was it at that point or what is it about you that then said, I got the next idea? I got the next idea. Because I've heard you riff on ideas. And I actually want to, if we have time here, just riff on an idea. But I heard you sit around talking about like, counter space and five hour energy and about like the fact that liquor stores have plenty of space and what you do to fill up that space. And I was fascinated to listen to your mind. Just go. You just, you, you've got like this idea drawer that's got like 50 ideas at any given time. Where's that? I, I was shaving this morning. Just one quick thing. I was shaving this morning and I turned the razor over to get the little hair underneath your nose. And I go, that's something Jesse would invent. <laughs> if you'd been at Gillette, you would have invented that because you just think about things in a little bit different way. Where's that creativity come from? Well, first of all, thank God I have Mark because Mark took an idea, went a mile deep and created the best company, the best culture, the best community I've ever been around. And if I didn't have Mark, I'd probably have 80 companies that 79 would fail. You're only hearing about the wins. Um, so I'm, I'm very fortunate about that, but you're quick to understand, you're quick to understand that you don't like really managing, you don't really like conflict and that you, you're a great idea person, but you have people like Mark who actually manage stuff. And I, and that's great self-awareness, right? Mark that's is one of the, Mark, Mark is humble, but Mark is one of the few people that has two things that are very, very rare in entrepreneurs. He has incredible operational skills as a CEO of the company. And most, you know, CEOs are great 
that's what they do, but he has insane vision. It's very rare to find people that can op that are creative, have vision, but also are really good operators. And I am on case in point. I have good ideas and good vision, but I'm not great at operating. So recognizing that, and for anyone listening, if you can partner or bring in someone and hire your weaknesses or partner with your weaknesses, in our case, the partnership works because of, of the different roles and responsibilities, um, you, you know, you're, you're better, you have a better chance of success. And that's what happened with 29 on 29. So Mark has both, he is one of the few people that that can wear both of those hats. For me, I'm one of the people that operate completely differently from my wife. She was a mile deep in Spanx. She would not deviate from the building of that company. She was great at saying no. I'm horrible at saying no. So she was able to really focus her energies and channel it into one brand and product. I don't work great like that. And Mark knows that. And he's given me the freedom. He recognizes that, that I need to write a book. I need to have eight different things going on. It's just the way that I work. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. And, and I think everyone is different, but I'm an idea guy. And, you know, um, I to bottleneck me in that, if anyone bottlenecked me in that, my wife included, it would lead to tremendous resentment. You know, I need the flexibility to fail nine times to get a winner. And, and Mark, how is it having somebody who has such a strong track record, like an amazing track record of having incredible ideas to say no to, I'm assuming, just a onslaught of ideas about what you can and should be thinking about doing. No idea. <laughs> I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So the question to Mark is, how do you say no? Here's a guy who has created billions of dollars of value from his ideas. How do you say no to those ideas? Yeah, look, I think it's, uh, there's been a lot of things, you know, Jesse and I are, are dear friends. Um, you know, hearing him talk about Sarah just briefly, like to hear, like I got chills when he said, like Sarah said, I did it. Right. Because you want to cheer for people to win. And what I've seen about Jesse, he's cheering for everyone to win. Right. The world's very competitive, especially in financial services and things where I know a lot of people are listening. Like it's it's all competition all day long. And I think, you know, Jesse brings such uh, positivity and uh, and such community and such good feels to whatever you're doing. I think um, I think that's just an, an amazing partnership to have someone who's that positive. I think of a really positive guy. Jesse exudes that. And starting off with the partnership, I was hesitant. Right, because Jesse has so many ideas, and I'd had a successful event production company which I'd sold, and I'd had some success, but nothing anyone would talk about or have me on a podcast for, right? And you know, seeing Jesse's success and having hearing all of his ideas, you know, I remember a meeting where I said to him, "Well, what if what if we run out of ideas?" And he looked at me seriously; he's never looked at me. He's like, "We will never run out of ideas ever," right? And it was like Luke Katz telling him, you know, ten percent that's a bad deal, right? And it was like that conviction of like, we're not going to run out of ideas. And I appreciate him saying I'm a visionary, but a lot of that I've learned through him. I'm saying, look, you got to think big. You got to challenge yourself. And and it, I can't miss the little details. My job as a CEO and as the operational partners to deliver on these ideas and figure out which ones will work. You know, in, in the words of James Clear, which, which things can we do that won't scale? Like do the things that won't scale and that'll build really trusted, customer relationships, and we've done a lot of that at 29, but then what things will scale? And what things can we actually make a profitable business? Because for me, I'm I'm in a position where we've had some success, but this has to work, right? And and it has to work for our employees and the customers, and we want to be able to grow. 
But Jesse's giving me a lot of flexibility and I think there's a lot of trust in the partnership, right? I think that's for me to be able to say no to him, there's trust there. And it's in a respectful manner. Look, there's a lot of things that we did, different joint ventures, different companies we worked on where I didn't say no initially. I had to hear him out. And and maybe even I told him no, and it was like, well, we're still going to try, but we'll try it on a small scale. And I think you also realize with your partners, what brings them fulfillment? What's their measure of success? Jesse and I are, neither one of us is motivated by money, right? We want to be successful. Surely you want to have a metric of a profitable business so your employees can grow. You can run a profit business. That's great. That's not what drives either one of us. But I think we've had a successful partnership because we realized for him, it's about bringing the idea together, being mayor for a day, being an entertainer, right? And I don't mean to speak for him, but Jesse's best on stage. And to have a partner who's one of the best, if not the best keynote and uh, motivational speakers on the planet. I don't mind talking. I'm happy to get on stage, but my partner's better at it. So you got to get on stage and do what you do and entertain people. And it gave me the freedom to say, hey, I can focus on other things because I don't have to compete with my partner for this. So I think it's understanding what the drivers of success and happiness are, the people around you, and then pushing them in that direction. So Jesse and I get together to sauna, cold plunge, walk. I'm like, give me all the crazy ideas. Because I need him to challenge me so I don't think too much in a container and we don't grow because I'm too focused on the day-to-day and I need I need that from him now. Where in the beginning, I had to filter it out, right? And I had to be, now I need it. And uh, and so it's, it's finding that balance, which I think we have, we've done in space. When I think about the distinct sort of skills and management styles between the two of you, I think about your early career, Mark, as a managing consultant. And what I'm assuming was the basically a life lived by PowerPoint presentations that you would study something and go get a PowerPoint and go present it to somebody. And Jesse, I, I believe that PowerPoint was almost the failure on both coconut water as well as uh, marquee jets. Will you tell the story about going to Columbus, Ohio and meeting with NetJets to get the planes and what you did as it relates to your PowerPoint and how you got around the PowerPoint? Yeah, sure. It's so good. It's such a great anecdote. Well, I'll give you the short version. Uh, my partner and I at the time had an idea for a private jet company called Marquee Jet, but we had no airplanes. And it's hard to start a private jet company with no airplanes. There was a company called NetJets owned by Warren Buffett that owned 650 private jets, the largest private uh, jet fleet in the world. We needed their airplanes to start our company. So we took them, we were able to get a meeting with the CEO, Rich Santuli, and we pitched this idea for a 25-hour jet card. Basically, you put down 100 grand for 25 hours. It works like a debit card. You fly two hours, you have 23 hours left. Um, they threw us out in 12 minutes. Literally, like, they were like, I remember the CEO saying like, and it really pissed me off. He was like, there's no way I'm giving two kids that didn't break a thousand on their SATs access to my plane. I got a 980. That's one of those chips, Jesse. I got a 980, a 980. That's I was one question away from a thousand. But anyway, on the way out, the president stopped us and said, that was amazing. And we're like, what are you talking about? We got thrown out. He goes, no. He goes, Santuli, he doesn't give anybody that much time in a meeting. He goes, I come back next week and repitch this and I want to learn more and bring it to life. So we came back a week later. We realized we could never sell Santuli on a PowerPoint. The guy sees a hundred a week. Like we had to bring, you only get one chance at the big meetings. You don't get another chance. We got to bring this thing to life. We brought in our own focus group. So we had eight people come into the room and we set up a table and one by one, they stood up and said that they would never buy a fraction of an airplane. Like 
NetJets had. But we had like athletes like Carl Banks of the Giants run behind me for Run DMC. And they stood up and said, we would buy a 25-hour jet cart. And something clicked. And the guy said, you know what? If you raise your own money or, or put up your own money or raise money, I'll give you a shot. And, and we got the deal. And we went on to do $5 billion in sales. But Jesse, I, like you, you, you lay in that story, we got Carl Banks. Okay, so for people yours and my age and, and not many people younger, Carl Banks is an incredibly successful football player for the New York Giants. How do you, one of the things as I, as I studied you, you have this incredible gift as it relates to relationships and friendships. Like 50 Cent was a summer intern for you or something way back when. And when he found out you own Marquis, he wrote into his contracts that every time further on he had to fly on a Marquis jet. Out there was some there was some guy who was interviewing you who said that his brother like parked cars at a country club or something, and that he remembers the one guy who gave him a hundred dollar tip in his life, and it was you. Like, where did you figure out early on how to, to a great degree, pay it forward? Because there's a there's a really incredible generosity to your spirit, but it's not a calculated generosity. It's just a natural way of, but these relationships, like when, when uh, you were trying to raise money for coconut water and and you're sitting there and you and you drop uh uh whose name was it that you dropped in the meeting that uh yeah Matt the, Damons. Yeah Matt Damon's like I'm sitting there all like yeah it's 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 Jesse who has the ability to drop Matt Damon's name in a Coca-Cola meeting to get the Coca-Cola executive saying, Whoa, we got we got a lot going here. What I think at the end of the day, you know, people buy into people, stories and momentum more than products. And at the end of the day, like you're the business plan. Like you are the mark is 29. Mark is the business plan. It's not what's on the paper. The amount of soul that he puts into the company that doesn't live on a spreadsheet. That doesn't live on, you can't outsource that. Like what he puts into that, people feel that customers feel that. And you know, yes, you're, you're bringing up big names. Not everyone has has access to a Matt Damon or a Carl Banks or a Run from Run DMC, but anybody can care the most. And, you know, I've made my living. Don't ever underestimate enthusiasm and passion. Don't ever underestimate what that can get you. And um, the names and the glitz, that's salesmanship. And that's... Um, doing whatever it takes. When I was young, there were no consequences. I needed like, it was sink or swim. I needed to get deals done. I, I didn't, my dad owned the plumbing supply house. I didn't have a big network of people that could get me into meetings. So I had to figure out how to be really nice to an assistant to get a meeting. I had to get my call passed through to, and when I went in and sold, this is just, give me one second on this. I was the worst salesman at Marquee Jet. I didn't know the price. I didn't know the configuration of the planes. I didn't know any, how, what's the, I didn't know any of that. But if I went in and you were wearing a running watch or I saw a picture of someone on the wall, on your wall of fame, on your credentials, I knew I had a sale because I I could connect with people on on that. Oh my God, are you a runner? I just ran this thing. I ran, I did it in a book. And, and all of a sudden, and after 30 minutes, look, I'm the co-founder of this company. If you need time on an airplane, I will do everything I can to take care of you and your family 
the way I would do it for my kids. I'd build trust over 29 minutes without even talking about a damn plate. And I would, and I'm the top of the chart. You were also exceptional though of going beyond on customer service. I've heard you talk about the fact that, yeah, the plan had to be on time, the catering had to be there. um, But at the same time, when someone was going to Cabo, you went out and did research of great restaurants in Cabo and sent them to your clients saying, hey, Mark, when you get to Cabo, here's a great restaurant. I mean, you went above and beyond as it relates to customer service in seek of the almighty word referral. That is the one thing that Mark and I have in common. It's it's it like we are we might disagree on a lot, but one thing we both know we don't even have to talk about it is the way that we treat people in our community. I mean, from the minute they come to our events, from a handwritten letter to the personal, to participating in the events, to talking to everybody, and 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 that is not like showboating or like we that matters to us. You can't fake that, and um. Yeah, I mean, I've always found that business deals can be transactional, but relationships can't. And I feel like when you get into someone's life, you actually care about them. You listen, you, you, you know, I you reach out to them when they don't expect it on something that matters to you. You send them one way information. Like if I knew you love surfing, I'm sending you surf videos, contests, new products, just because I know you're thought you might like this. Well, like. When you do that, the floodgates open. They they stick with you when you're when your business has a downtick. They root for you. They give you referrals, and um, that's what he Mark. I don't want to speak for Mark, but that's what I'm most proud of with 29029. It's our attention rate, our our community. The deep the our, people talk about ROI on bottom line. Oh, it's your t- we talk about ROI on the DMs that we get daily from people that say we've changed their lives. That, Mark talked about, yes, we're capitalists, we wanna make money, but nothing would make us feel as good as we feel when we go in our inbox and someone's like, man, thank you. My kids are looking at me differently. I feel different. I doubled my business plan because what I did. Like, those are the emails we get every day and there's nothing in the world that we would rather do than get that. And it's all because of caring the most. We care the most. I've been to every race. I've done all of the obstacles. That... There's no one that puts the effort into it like Mark and the team. It's just, and it shows. Mark, how do you, I mean, I guess to the extent of, A, how many people are repeat 29029ers? So how many people have Everested more than once? And then second of all, there's something in the way that it's set up of, you know, you go to a triathlon, you go to a marathon, you're really not interacting with a lot of people. Yeah, you'll meet somebody at the start line, but you're you're not taking their phone number, uh, and there's no real cultivation of a of a community there, if you will. Whereas it sounds very much like in 29 or 29, you're purposeful about creating a community and an environment where people can get to know the other people. Am I right on that? Hundred uh, percent. I mean, the the first question, forty percent repeat rate since inception. Wow. Right. It's only been around six years, so there's a lot of people that'll come back next year that hadn't come back yet. Right. So super high repeat rate. You know, Jesse talked a lot about caring the most. I just remember we sat down and wrote down a few things when we first started meeting. And and one of the things was we said we had a no asshole policy and we'll care the most. Right. And and like we made all of our hiring decisions based off of that. We made thoughts about expansion. We sold the business. I appreciate the intro, but we bought it back, right, earlier this year. 
So we, we own the company outright again. And I think it was just the, the opportunity to say, hey, this is something really special and we want to hold on to it and protect it for a long time. So, you know, the community that you feel when you come is because we do care. And we don't take lightly the fact that a gentleman climbed her mount last weekend in Vermont and spread his father's ashes on the summit. You know, that, that you know, Tim Grover's quote, pressure is a privilege. The amount of pressure that I feel to deliver a flawless, life-changing experience for someone where they're going to honor their father, their best friend in their whole life with our event. We've got to deliver on every aspect for them from the first time they find out about us on the website to Zoom calls, to registering, to coaching calls, to six months of training programming, to coming on the mountain. And everything that we've done is setting things up to just create a container whereby people can let their guard down and grow and grow together. And I think that right now with, look, it's great getting all the DMs and the emails. It's unbelievably gratifying. And that's the biggest part of ROI in our job. But all those DMs and emails, those don't replicate what it's like to be in person together. And I think people are as lonely as they've ever been. And that when you get together with people for a common purpose, sharing for a common goal and a common place where we're doing it together, that's special. And it's, it's, it's rare. And I think that's what people are looking for more and more is saying, hey, I, I want to be around others, have that same approach. Kindness. You opened up with the remarks about Israel. My wife's Jewish. Jesse's Jewish. We need kindness in this world right now. We need compassion. And uh, I think there's so much empathy in 29 while you're doing something really effing hard, right? Like, you know, we create community with all the things that Jesse talked about um, earlier about his different adventures in the year. People want a story to tell, right? They want something that makes themselves more interesting. 29 of 29 gives you that in a turnkey process. You got to go out and do the work. But you don't have to go hire a coach. You don't have to worry about where you're staying. You don't have to worry about dinner reservations at the race. All that's taken care of. Just put in the work and know that you're going to be supported. You're going to have people like Jesse cheering for you. So I'm proud of what we've created because it's 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 really given people an opportunity to surprise themselves and give themselves a story to tell that they'll they'll never forget. Uh, hey Mark, on the the actual race or the you know the the Everest thing. Um, you do it on a bunch of mountains that all, generally speaking, have the same pitch. But I noticed that Whistler is a much steeper mountain. So you only have to climb Whistler, I think, eight times to get the the, the to Everest. Whereas mountains like Sun Valley, you got to do it 15. What's, yep. um, do, is, there, is there a difference between the people who sign up for those two different ones where because it's that much yep. steeper and you only do it eight times, it's either harder, it's easier. I just, I was sitting there thinking about it and I've the Sun Valley mountain, not thousands of times, but I've done it tens of times. Sure. And I'm just curious, do people sit there and say, whoa, I want to do eight really steep, or I'd rather do 15 a little bit, not quite as steep? It, it's a it's a great question. I'll tell you, um, a lot of people have the misnomer that there's an easier one. There's no easy way to climb up 29,000, 29 feet and take the gondola down. It's just hard, right? Um, but people do kind of self-select. People say, hey, look, I don't like the heat, so they don't want to do Utah or Sun Valley because they're in the summer. Right. Or people say, I don't like the cold. So they don't want to do Whistler or Stratton. Right. So I think you have some of that selection. Uh, but, but also, you know, our events sold out last year in under eight minutes, all of them. So the first two sold out in less than 18 seconds. So I think you can have a choice and then you can take what's available. And, and I think what I encourage people to do is say, look, like have your first choice, but sign up and get the experience with whatever you can get. And then once you're an alumni, you get a register early and you'll, you'll have your pick more so once you get in as an alumni. But yeah, I mean, look, 
the, the different locations, I think that's part of the storytelling process too, right? We're in Whistler, we're at Sun Valley, we're in Jackson Hole, we're we're right outside Salt Lake, we're in Stratton, Vermont, we're in Monster Blanc, Canada. There's all these beautiful places where you can go and have an experience and you can choose to have your family join you or not. Um, and, and those create different experiences, right? Some of our locations are sleep, sleeping in, you know, safari glamping tents. Some you're staying at a Fairmont hotel. It's it's a different experience to each place. And I like the different character that we bring. I did all the events this year. I climbed them all. There's no easy one, right? There, there's certain ones that are harder. Um, but I think that variety is interesting. That's why it's such a high repeat rate, repeat rate too, is people knew it at one location and they want to see what it's like when they try another location. Jesse, uh, Mark just talked about the different characters we bring, and it makes me think about David Goggins and your book, Living with a Seal. Uh, as I was getting ready for this, I had so many people say to me, like, what would that be like? And I have obviously read your book, thousands, millions of people have read your book, and you tell that story that is so amazing, but he's now a much bigger figure than he was then. You you basically sort of, if you will, created him. He didn't have a brand until then, and now he has a very significant brand. But you've hung out with a lot of intense athletes. You've done endurance event after endurance event. Is Goggins just at a different level than anyone else you've met? Well, that's a tough question. Um, first of all, I wouldn't say that I've made him, but I appreciate the... Uh, well, I mean, come on. At the time, nobody, nobody, you could, you could, you all, his name's, his name isn't even in the book, is it? Uh, no, not in the first yeah. edition. Yet. Um, yeah. No, I've been, I've been able to, um, I've, I've had the privilege of meeting so many amazing athletes. And I'll tell you, I recently got to meet Courtney Dahlwater. I don't know if you know who Courtney is, but she's uh, an endurance runner who's, dominating the sports of sport of ultra running as a as a female beating all the men winning all the races by hours not like uh, oh like oh i just tape i beat him to the tape by it and what she's been able to do it is fascinating and you know now that the sport has evolved so much from like when david was running really in the beginning in 2007 2008 when 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 100 mile races were first coming onto the map in a, in a in a little bit of a bigger way to where it is now. Right now, as we speak real time, there's an event called Big's Backyard Race. And as we speak right now, there are six people left that have crossed the 400 mile mark. They've been running for four days. With it. They, they run 400, I'm going to repeat this, 400 miles and they're still going in a race so you know goggins was definitely a pioneer but if you look at the like what's going on now it is just it's just it's just amazing and you know when you and what's what's the what's important to know for the people listening i never dreamed of running 100 i've run several hundred mile races in my life i never when i was in uh, coming out of college, my goal was to run two miles. Nothing, it, if I could run two miles, like I was a runner, you know, I'd go run for 20 minutes, I'm a runner. I identify as a runner. Nothing in my body's changed. Like I'm not, still not strong. Like I look the same, my legs, same legs. Same. The only thing that changed is what I saw people do and realized that I could do that too. Same thing in being a millionaire. 
I was never, we didn't talk about money in my house. My parents were like, there wasn't like, oh, he's a, but that we didn't, there was no discussion. I met my first millionaire like that I knew when I was 23 and I was like, I'm going to change the name. If Charlie is a millionaire, the guy can't find the, the exit sign that I, I could be a millionaire. And it's the same with everything. When you see people at 29 or 29 climbing the mountain, you're like, I can't believe that this person who doesn't even look this strong has laughed me. You start to realize that like, wow, I, I am capable of more. You know, like when people like, I should say to Mark, man, double our business plan. We're capable of more. It's like, what are, Mark, double the business plan, please. <laughs> 2025. But it's true. So, so David opened my eyes to the first time of like, wow, I'm, I'm under indexing in my life. And since then, I've looked for people that open my eyes even wider. You're, um, as I think about over indexing, I think about the fact that your nine-year-old son just ran a marathon. Talk to me for two seconds about that. First of all, is that healthy, Jesse? Well, for, th for this particular nine-year-old, it, it's fine. He's um he's run two half marathons and he signed up for the half marathon at a running event and on his own, I didn't even know to mile 16 that he was continuing on. He chose to to do that and finish and with a very kid-like energy, cheering people on, celebrating, talking, taking turns. So there was no there was zero pressure. He did it on his own. I ran the last two miles with him. But um would I recommend that for other nine-year-olds? It depends on on the kid. I mean, Mark knows my son, Charlie, and he's wired a little bit like it, it was okay. It was okay for Charlie to do it. But he's been around this his whole life. He's a, he's an open water swimmer. He, you know, he's an athlete. Um, and he's he was locked in. Um, but I will tell you, um, you know, what I told Charlie, and and again, I think this is relative for everybody here. I said to Charlie, like, you're about to do something that you could put on your college resume. You could talk about for the rest of your life. No one can take this away from you. What you're about to do, no matter what happens in the rest of your life, you can say at nine, I ran a marathon. It's documented. It's official. It's chip time. And no one can take it away from you. And anybody here, you know, when you... Time is undefeated, Willie. It's going to get all of us. No one's beating time. I don't, no one's beating time. The only way that you can even compete is if you do stuff that time can't take away. It can't take away his marathon. It can't take away my bike across America. I could go tomorrow. It can't take it away from me. It can't take away what Mark and the team have built, what we built at 29 or 29. We did it. It can't take away Sarah's sale of specs. She did it. I did it. I did it. When you do it, time can't take it away from you. And and that's the, the lesson for my son. It was like he gutted it out and now he has an accomplishment and he can continue to stack accomplishments on top of that that no one could take. could say whatever you want. He's this, he's that, but you can't say he didn't do that. You can't say Mark didn't do Leadville. You can't say that he can't done the did the races that he did. Or he ran a division one a division one track. Pro he did it. It's undeniable. Yeah. You know, you hear people like, "Oh, he's a great salesman. Did great. Show me the body of work." 
I'm hate, I hate all this. Show me the body of work. Show me the body of work. Oh, this guy's an unbelievable bug. He said he did. No, I don't care. What, what, show me the work. Show me the body of work. So I, um, I've had the um, opportunity, as both of you have, to be introduced hundreds, if not thousands of times to either speak or do other things. And my resume has a whole bunch of different things as far as taking a company public and being the Erickson Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, et cetera, et cetera. The only thing on my resume that anyone ever really talks about is the fact that I ran a 236 Boston. And it's so funny <laughs> because the, the, to exactly what you're talking about, about Charlie, Jesse, it's a just, I mean, I ran that in 1995. It's ancient history. I could no more go out and run a 236 today than fly to the moon. But the point is everyone sits there and says, that's a number that was there. You posted that. And, and it's funny because like I, at first when I like, it's on my resume, literally. And I was like, yeah, you know, you don't put that on your work resume. That's like something you do outside of work. You talk about all this official stuff over here, but I put it there. And the other thing about it is that immediately when anyone goes and does work on me and I walk into a meeting with somebody to exactly what you did, Jesse, as it relates to identifying with people, if they had a sport watch on or they had a whoop on, you knew you were going to engage them. Every single person who sees that time talks to me about endurance and fitness and I run five marathons or I'm trying to train for New York or whatever the case might be. And it gives you that connectivity. And it's so interesting thinking about that. The other thing that you talked about, Jesse, that I do think, and, and Mark, you've mentioned this as well, is your momentum comment. Momentum in business. Like when you sold that first jingle to the Nets that, that you got paid 4,000 bucks for and it cost you 48 a 4,800 bucks to make it. And everyone would be like, well, that's a shitty business deal. You spent 800 bucks more than you would have. And you said, I would have paid them 10,000 because it gave me, it gave me momentum. It gave me a brand to then go and work with everybody else. And sure enough, Jesse Itzler went out and sold those damn jingles to everyone in the NBA and everyone in the NFL. And it's just, it's so interesting. Those little life lessons as it relates to how business happens, how entrepreneurial ideas, which you come up with consistently, get turned into real businesses by Mark. And I guess the one thing I'd say there, Mark, is like, you work with this guy who's so brilliant. I've already asked you how you sort of say no. What's Jesse's true superpower? Like you work with this guy all the time. And I've talked about his relationships with other people. I've talked about the fact that he comes up with great ideas. Is there some other amazing superpower that we don't know about Jesse that you get the opportunity to feed off of, if you will, every day? Well, before I say superpower, I want to say this. The most fired up Jesse got on this call was when he talked about his son running a marathon. People couldn't take it away. That's why he's my partner, right? You talk about things on your resume. I lean with it. I'm a dad. I'm most proud of being a father because it's me instilling these lessons so my kids are good people, right? And they grow up and do big things. Jesse's inspiring the hundreds of thousands of people a year to be better people, right? Be better about health and wellness, be better fathers, be better husbands, challenge themselves. So I think that's just first off, like I'm proud that he's my friend and that it was easy to partner in you. There's a quote by Jared Kushner that I heard on a podcast recently. Like if you have a bad partner at a good business, it won't work. But if you have a good partner in a bad business, you'll find a way to make it work. I got a great partner, right? And it starts with that he's a great dad and that's why we became friends. I think his superpower is the fact that he sees things before they're coming and he's willing to bet on them with action, not talk about it. He's just willing to go and do it. And that's what happened at 29. I wasn't ready to host our first event. He was like, it's happening in October. And it, like, we did it. 
you know, and like, but, but that push was like, all right, you're right. Like, let's do it. Let's, let's lead with action and do it. And, and that's translated into my life to where the first year we had seven guys that had never run a marathon say, Hey, we did your event next year. You're going to run Leadville. And it was a little bit of like in the back of my head, well, Jesse would say yes. So I, I raised my hand and said, yes, I'll run Leadville with you, you know, and five of us finished. And I think it's, he's willing to bet on himself time and time again by doing things that are unconventional. And if he's wrong, he doesn't care. When he's right, he's really, really, really right. And those are the big wins that we talk about because he's seen something coming well before anyone else did. And I think having that self-confidence to say there's always going to be another idea. People are always going to give you a hard time if you fail. But man, if I'm right, that satisfaction of saying I did it, no one can take that away from me. And if anything, that confidence has just grown in the seven years that we've been partners and the other things that he's doing. Um, he continues to leave that example, which is super inspiring. I, that I, quite honestly, it's a great way for us to end because that's, that is both Jesse, that's you, Mark, that's your partnership. That's the business you've built. Uh, and I would just say, I have been blessed to have 162 or 163 guests on the Walker webcast. Um, every one of them has given me an hour of their time, which I've been greatly thankful for. Um, but I've also watched enough of what the two of you have done to understand how your time is so valuable and that time is the one commodity that you have that, as Jesse just said, you're not going to beat the clock. And so the fact that you two gave me an hour and gave our listeners an hour to talk about all this and talk about your business and talk about the way you live your lives and also talk about fitness and the importance of fitness in all of our lives. The one thing, Jesse, is you talk a lot, you do a lot of back of the envelope math as it relates to like, how many quarters do I have left? How many years do I have left? How many summers do I have left? How many this and that? I can just guarantee you the way you're taking care of yourself you're going to live a lot longer than 80 years, my friend. Like when you and I are, when you and I are 95, we're going to be like climbing a mountain together because you're going to live a lot longer than 80 years. I guarantee you that. Just funny sidebar before we go. Do you know how Mark and I met? Mark, Mark and I met at flag football in Atlanta. Mark was one of the coaches. And the reason why we started working together is Mark, the way Mark treated the kids from the best kid to the worst kid on the team stood out to me. It just, like I said, you're the business plan. The way that he handled the parents and the kids and included everybody, again, worst to best, equally stood out. And you are the business plan, like I said, and, and everything is an audition. Everything you do is an audition, you know? And, and, and that led to, I trust this guy. I want to work with this guy. I never met him. I was, like Mark said in the beginning of the call, neither of us want, I didn't want... I pledged to my wife I would never have another partner. I'm 55. I'm not looking for partners, you know? And um, he was the asterisk. He was the exception because of that, you know? And it's just, it's important to keep in mind as we go out after this call into the world that, you know, everything we do isn't an audition and we are the plan. And and at the end of the day, um, yeah, the Matt theme is the this and that. At the end of the day, People buy into people and they, you know, your 230, 236 marathon is an indication not of your speed. It has nothing to do, Willie, with your speed. It is everything to do with your grit, your resilience, your determination. Like that number that you just said to me, 236, gives me 10 characteristics and they're all 10 characteristics that I want to hire. They're all the consistency, the dedication, the passion, 
the enthusiasm, the commitment, you know, the That's suffering. like Roxanne Tooley seeing in you what he was like when he was your age. So if you have a widget company and I see the number 236 and 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 we're communicating like this, I'm investing in that widget. I, I, so I, it's just something to remember, I, everybody. Something I, might, I might have to write a new business plan and come meet with your family. <laughs> um, final thing, I'm coming to Atlanta in a couple of weeks. I want to go have coffee with the two of you. And Jesse, you're bringing the muffins that you stole at the TED conference 20 years ago to get Marquee Jets going. So bring the muffins when we go have breakfast. Let's go to Hawks game. Let's, let's go to the go to the schedule and see if there's a Hawks game. That'll be more fun. Um, yeah. Thank you both very much. Uh, and look forward to seeing you both in Atlanta as well as on the mountain when I do my first 29029. Yeah. Thanks. Have a great day. All right, guys. Thank you. Yeah.